The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of KUCI, its management, the UC Board of Regents, or performing artists returning to the live stage. We love it, every bit of it. Good morning. I'm your host, Claudia Shamba, welcoming you to the July 13th, 2021 edition of Ask a Leader. Today, we're giving the whole hour to Richard Green, who, as co-chair of Irvine Watchdog, will be training his season auditor sites on the brand new Orange County Power Authority. He'll also go hyperlocal reviewing a project contemplated on Racket Club of Irvine property. Lots of stakes, folks, so stay with us. back to the show. My guest for the full hour is Irvine Watchdog co-chair Richard Green, bringing more civic business that seems to be not enough on our radars, like the existence of the Orange County Power Authority. He's a guide here to residents who are going on about their other business. Richard Green is co-chair, as I said, of the Irvine Watchdog, vice chair of the Democrats of Greater Irvine. Richard's cut some public appointmentee as a city commissioner in Long Beach, California, where he served on the Ethics Commission and as chair of the city's nonprofit affordable housing development company. Richard is a good government advocate and is focused on the issues of transparency, honesty, and government accountability. He's worked as a government liaison and forward planner for the Irvine-based Lusk Company. He's worked as an executive at Ceridian and led national tax compliance, the U.S. Department of Treasury auditing national priority projects, public accounting at KPMG in Irvine, Southern California Edison as head employment of tax division. Richard completed his bachelor's in business management at the University of Cincinnati and both his MBA and MPA at Keller Graduate School. He comes to us today from his home in Irvine. Welcome to Ask a Leader, Richard Green. Thank you, thank you for having me. Well, we thank you and we are recording this on July 10th and there are different platforms that are breaking more news about related topics today. So let's start. And the main portion of our attention in this interview is going to be on the Orange County Power Authority, wow. Richard, it's another casualty of the pandemic. It's, it's some of us were watching a lot of other things while the city of Irvine was taking the climate action plan and the community choice energy element there, moving into an, building an Orange County Power Authority. When did the community choice energy become the, a power authority because I'm just noticing when I go to the OC power authority, the website's a pretty lean piece of work. So tell us a little bit about that before we go and break open the appointments and the board members. Right, so the Orange County Power Authority is a new government agency and it's a joint venture under an agreement called a Joint Powers Agreement, JPA. There are four city members. The city of Irvine is the city that 
initiated the effort, City of Buena Park, City of Fullerton, and the City of Huntington Beach. And I just want to know what happened. Costa Mesa was all enthralled with joining the leadership back before the pandemic, but they withdrew their interest? They did. And their stated reason for doing that was because they were concerned about what's called weighted voting on the board, because the city of Irvine put up collateral and much of the initial startup funding. Well, like about um, $2 million or something, right? Approximately $2 million, $2.5 million. Okay. And the other city, that allowed them to have two members on the board, which gives them obviously more influence over board decisions. And other cities were concerned about that. Also, there's starting a new energy utility company is high risk, requires significant capital upfront, working capital, reserves, liquidity, all of that credit. And the risk factor, I think, also frightened away some of the cities that were looking at it as a potential option. Okay, so it was sometime by the late summer that this began, this came into existence? Sure. Now, um, I know It's hard to see, exactly. The the website is uh, not helpful. No, their website is, because it's such a new organization, their website is, is pretty bare bones. It doesn't include much of the information that those of us in the public who like to monitor some of these agencies would like to see right up front on day one. Uh, they've been very slow to, to put up minutes and videos and documentation, like staff reports, that type of thing. But including the path of how we got here. And so let me start by recognizing the hard work of individual environmental activists and organizations. Please like the do. Action campaign. They spent a significant amount of time, labor and effort, lobbying specifically the politicians in Irvine to support the CCE, the Community Choice Energy Program. And the intent is well-intended. The motivation, I think, is, is sound. And it is to move away from what's called a investor-owned utility like Southern California Edison or PG&E and move into something that's more community-focused and community-centered. And so they lobbied and educated and organized. And on July 14th of 2020, the city council approved the creation of the CCE and opened up an invitation for other cities in Orange County who were who wanted to participate. So it's a oh. fairly new organization and yes. they're still building out their infrastructure. But I have to say that in the short period of time they've been in existence, the red flags are already been raised and the alarms are going off. The intent is good, the motivation's good. I support a CCE, I support moving away from public utilities and being more community focused. But there's some challenges already that have presented themselves at the Orange County Power Authority that need to be addressed. They can still write the ship, but they need to do it fairly quickly. Fairly quickly. And is anything that's been decided now, I just, I guess what I want listeners to listen for is, and for, for you, Richard, to talk about how many fait accomplis have taken place and what can be undone because there there are commitments being made rather quickly here so and i'm i'm remembering when mike carroll was speaking at an applied innovations meeting i want to say it was perhaps february of 2020 maybe even january and he he said man this pencils out i i'm all in for this and that was that he could see that the 
it was a matter of taking the middle party, the middleman out of the energy distribution picture. It was going to be maybe not so much high risk, but a better value for rate payers. And on the other side was Mayor, then Mayor Christina Shea was watching every single penny that Irvine would have to ante up for this, the startup kinds of costs. So, I mean, those two kinds of characterizations aren't even familiar in, with the way the, the business is being conducted at this point. Isn't it an entirely different look? Yes, it is. It definitely is. The startup cost, imagine having no experience in energy and starting a brand new energy utility company from scratch and the cost associated with that. They have no customers today. And yet they, you know, they have a board, they have uh, infrastructure, office space, staff has been hired. They're signing contracts with consultants for data management and call center. Uh, they're negotiating with Southern California Edison for data exchanges and energy supply because even a CCE will continue to purchase some energy from Southern California Edison and elsewhere. And so there's a lot of financial arrangements that are being done already that I think are a little surprising and were not anticipated at the early stages in the development of the OCPA. You're being extremely delicate in the kind of modifiers you're using. This is community radio, and I hope that you can take that kind of autonomy and express things, call them like they are, and you know, let listeners know just how very rattled you are with the transactions that have taken place already. So I just that's an invitation and and showing in a, my my radio font to listeners that you are you're being very cautious in the way you're couching the step taking. So Brian Probalski is the CEO and there is his compensation packages are pretty gentlemen and Tonya Castro Graham is the chief operating officer and Ryan Barron has been retained as general counsel. So that's that's how much of the seed money right out the door. That's quite a bit. So so Brian Pobleski is is earning um, approximately $239,000 in his employment contract. That's his base salary. And then uh, about $1,200 a month in, in, in a health stipend, gets a car stipend, gets a technology stipend, gets a retirement package, gets an automatic increase in pay every year, as long as his performance warrants it. Um, and so it's a significant investment, especially in an individual who has a checkered past. Brian is the brother of Adam Publiski, who's a well-known political operative in Orange County circles, runs a research polling company. Brian has been chief of staff to three Orange County supervisors and information is readily available online if people wanted to research yes. this, but he has some ethical challenges in the past doing campaign work on county time, um, time clock issues. Um, and is he financial. still with the Malton Water Management District? No, to my understanding, he's resigned from that position and he's doing Orange County Power Authority full time. But he, he does have some government experience, with, especially in working with joint power authorities, but he's the CEO of a new energy utility company with no energy experience. What could go wrong? <laughs> <laughs> wow. And what's An Antonia Castro Graham's strong suit? 
Well, she is a public administrator. So she was an assistant to the city manager in the city of Huntington Beach. She was deputy manager for the city of Fullerton. And she led an intergovernment agency that uh, worked on sustainability issues. So she does have a track record in environmentalism. Her pay package is a little less uh, lucrative than Brian's at $189,000 a year. But the combination of those two hires raises serious questions about were these political hires? Were these experts in the field? They, they certainly smell and appear to be political decisions hired to run a new company. And that increases the risk profile for the Orange County Power Authority in my assessment. And, you know, I, um, I spent eight years as a commissioner in the city of Long Beach in multiple capacities, as you, as you mentioned. Yes. And in my experience, what I'm seeing as an outsider, um, looking at the current state of affairs at the Orange County Power Authority, it just doesn't pass the smell test. Their staffing issues, the procedures that they're following, the practices they're implementing, their interactions with the public, the lack of transparency and accountability, there's enough concern for someone like myself who has government-related experience um, from another city to be able to compare and contrast. And what has taken place so far to date at the Orange County Power Authority just appears to be unethical, less than transparent, questionable practices. And as you indicated, other news sites, uh, they're quoting some of, the, some of the folks that spent years trying to develop this uh, Orange County Power Authority, the CCE, as being uh, extremely concerned about the direction that it's going in. And, and I share in that concern. And we're obligated. I mean, there's, there's no way that raising the flag and saying this is not transparent. It raises ethical questions. How obligated are ratepayers, residents of Irvine, Fullerton, Buena Park and Huntington Beach? Obligated. <laughs> so, we, I mean, it, we now have the JPA, it's in effect. Um, they're looking at a start date of April of next year. Um, they anticipate more than 320,000 customers, I think, at, at startup. Most residents who live in the four cities that participate in the JPA will be automatically transitioned from Southern California Edison as their electric provider into the Orange County Power Authority. They won't have a choice. So. The, the consumers, the residents of those cities are definitely obligated. The cities are obligated. The city of Irvine ponied up a lot of the collateral um, to start the JPA. And if the JPA were to fail at any point, that collateral is at risk, which is Irvine taxpayer money. And so it's, it's, it's a half-baked cake. So by April of next year, we'll be locked in. Uh, the rates... Have rates. The rates determinations have not been made yet. Um, so some of the original feasibility studies done around this showed about a 4% rate decrease for most consumers. Uh, there was a peer review of that that repositioned that as more like half a percent to 2%. So there's going to be a very small rate savings for most consumers. And so you know, as someone like myself, who's kind of had experience in doing auditing and government. government yes, you're the uh, man. Work. I'm so glad you're available. Yes. What do you, Thanks. what do you notice here? 
Well, I always look at, and I was taught this in public accounting and in, in some of my public accounting education is you've got to look at the risk profile and how comfortable you are with the risk versus the benefits, kind of a cost benefit analysis. And at this stage, the risks are very high and the benefits are minimal. Having said that, I understand from an environmentalist perspective, the desire to reduce the dependency on fossil fuels and our carbon footprint and to move towards renewables, et cetera. And I support that. But this new government bureaucracy is going to be a cash cow for consultants. There's a lot of money in green energy. And I think they're just biting at the bit to get an opportunity to feed from this trough. And if we're not careful, and if we don't put in oversight controls, if we don't have strong public community oversight participation at the meetings, if they're not providing us with the details, the working details, the very specific terms and conditions and covenants of some of the contracts they're negotiating, we may find ourselves in a situation where the liabilities outstrip the um, assets and this thing could go belly up. Uh, there was a CCE in, in West Riverside that just filed for bankruptcy in part because they took on too much credit and didn't have enough assets and mismanaged their finances as part of a startup. So the appointments could burn through the capital that's set aside in the joint powers agreement and then it's over and then we go back to being ratepayers to Southern California Edison. Is that, that could be a possibility? It, it, could be a possibility. So if the if, if the Orange County Power Authority were to fail, then we, we would move directly back to SCE. So on background, you mentioned that Mayor Khan has a new job. What what's the what's the exact job and the title? Well, um, I just did a simple Google search and go to LinkedIn and take a look at her, her profile. Uh, out of curiosity, I wanted to see, because I know, you know, the one of the things that's kind of interesting about Irvine is that we have what's called a strong city manager form of government. And so the city manager is a full-time position. The mayor, in theory, is a part-time position. Right. And and probably earns twenty to $30,000 as part of that job. So, you know, how does someone like Mayor Khan support herself? And I know that she's out every day doing city business. And so I was interested in, you know, what other sources of income she might have. And certainly as a watchdog, that's something I'm always interested in. <laughs> Watch, follow the money. And what I noticed is that six months ago, it appears that she was hired to be president of an IT consulting company based out of Washington State. And uh, I haven't fully researched her professional background, but to my knowledge, she does not have you know, IT experience or even recruiting experience. So that's a, that's an area that I think um, someone like Irvine Watchdog will need to continue to well, I am, to look I'm, into and monitor. I'm interested in that because you earlier in this interview, you talked about there are data management contracts that are going to be let out. And so I think those are some targets that may convert. Very good. Very good. Yes, you might be right. And the, 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 challenge, the challenge is that as of today, we don't have the level of detail that's required for us to understand who's who on these contracts. What We might see a company name and could be a subsidiary of a subsidiary of a subsidiary, but tracking that money flow to see if there's any potential conflict of interest would be something that 
watchdogs, community activists uh, should be doing just to keep the integrity of the OCPA intact. And I'm letting they... your, your answers and the contributions in this interview, they'll be the way of answering a question of, you know, what's your involvement with the Irvine Watchdog and what draws you and all that. This is all sort of operationalizing your connection with this. And I think listeners, we owe a debt of gratitude to what Irvine Watchdog is constantly doing on our behalf because these are complex and weighty obligations that are, are being built right now. And I, and I just wanna run by, we, we didn't mention the, actually the board, I don't think. The chair of the board is Mike Carroll on our city council. Vice chair is Fred Jung, council member from Fullerton and Susan Sun is a council yes. member from Buena Park. Mike Posey, Huntington Beach council member, he ran for the county board of supervisor special he election. Did. And then Mayor Khan of Irvine is also on the board. So uh, as you said, there's, there's a slowness in posting the meeting videos and, and that kind of thing. The, what kind of platform is the Orange County Power Authority availing residents and the public to weigh in and speak to the board? How, how is that working? Right, good question. So we're still dealing with sort of uh, the transitional period from coming out of the COVID experience. So they're still televising their meetings via Zoom and their meetings are held on Tuesdays, second Tuesday of every month at 10 o'clock in the morning. And the public is invited to participate and that's and, kind of noteworthy, the timing. 10 a.m. Is, yes. a, is a tough time for, for many, many, most professionals to be available and, and most, working Most people. professionals and working people probably will not be able to attend these meetings because of the schedule. And um, is it and over that, a phone or can they, do they zoom in in a frame or how, how are they present, the public? Weighing in. Current, currently, it's it's a video. So as like the city council meetings uh, up until recently, it's a Zoom call. So you can just dial in. Public participants are muted, not shown on the video. The board and how much time? Shown. The meeting typically takes two hours. Right, but uh, the the public, how pub much time does each person get? If if a member wanted to speak on a agenda item, you get three minutes. Have you been on already? Have you spoken? I've not spoken yet, but I have, uh, I've attended and I've listened attentively and I review their agenda packets such as they are. Um, They're pretty, so uh, pretty spare as well. I, I checked out a few. Yeah. So just in preparation for this interview, for example, I went to their website this morning and I, I took a look at, so they've had, the Orange County Power Authority has had 13 meetings since it was created and there are only six meeting minutes posted. So 46% of the meetings have been posted and only two videos have been posted out of the 13 meetings. And so the watchdog and other community activists have communicated to the Orange County Power Authority uh, that were concerned about issues of transparency. And we asked them specifically to post their minutes and to post their videos. And so Mayor- Are Khan those answered, those emails? Um, Watchdog emails went unanswered. I sent an email to the general counsel, to the chair, to the COO, to the CEO, and uh, received no response. And But in a public session, 
some people made public comments and the mayor, Mayor Khan, indicated that she, she supports providing the videos. And so two videos have been posted, but 11 are still absent. So if you're interested in the Orange County Power Authority's place uh, and you wanted to watch the videos or read the minutes, it's just not practical. They, they're just not providing the bare minimum information that would normally be expected in my experience. Wow, it just, it just makes you want to do something noisy and flashy like a, a Greenpeace action to sort of like shake shake them up. They're, they're too insular for ratepayers. good. Yes, they are, there are. And, and, you know, I think I mentioned earlier also that, you know, besides the transparency issues, there's also concerns about some of the staffing. And we talked about Brian, we talked about the COO. Of course, Mayor Khan is, is on the board. Mike Carroll is on the board. And, you know, Mike Carroll has a history as well. I mean, last year when he was running for city council, there was some concerns in the community what some called misuse of misappropriation of taxpayer dollars, reallocated money that was intended to be spent for staffing his Irvine City Council office and spent them instead on mailers to registered voters just prior to the election. And he gave directions specifically to members of the mailroom at City Council and handed them the mailing list to use for the mail. So there's some ethical questions even about the chairman of this new organization. So Richard, um, about the mailers, when Branda Lynn brought this up last week on this show, and I had to remember, I don't, did you get that mailer in that election cycle? I don't remember getting that mailer. So I'm wondering uh, if I, it, it is implicating I, him further that it was like a partisan kind of uh, target and, and that makes it even less of a proprietary right. so matter. I, I did get the mailer and I also got and I also got a phone call, uh, kind of an automated phone call. And it was, this is city council member Mike Carroll inviting you to a town hall to discuss these issues. And that's fine. Uh, that's, you know, as a city council member, that's constituent service. But it, it turns out that the people that received the mailers were people that appeared to be on a list, were on a political list and not a city list. And so it really felt political. And then the allocation of the money from his what's called council executive administration budget, CEA budget, for purposes of mailing was a violation of city and common practices. Okay. Um, and he, he's had no repercussions for that. And he just recently got promoted to the chairperson of the OCPA and realized well, there, the, well, there was a larger budget, a, a larger appropriation for that executive assistant, and it could roll over as Branda talked about, in case people didn't hear the interview yet last week about that particular line item can be carried forward to the next year, which is a campaign season. So it's all, so this is a, the person chairing a, a very, I, I don't know what, uh, what would an auditor call this kind of a, of a, an authority in terms of a, a fi- there's a like a financial designation for what what kind it, it's of a, it, it's a public utility so it's it, it would be it would be a public agency through the JPA and to my understanding Mike Carroll he's an attorney uh, as a small law practice but no utility experience or energy to to elect him as chair or to appoint him to the to the board and Fred Jung from Fullerton what is his background yeah, I, I, I don't, I'm not familiar with his background. My, my focus 
as part of the Irvine Watchdog. We're Correct. very hyper focused on Irvine politics. Okay, so of course. I, I can't. I can't speak to the other members, unfortunately. Okay. Yeah, I understand. So there's contracts that it's. So it's really hard to see the budget unfolding and or dissolving. But uh, so. <laughs> There is no other way than on the website, or are you going to, are there filings elsewhere in the county to see the business transactions obligating the cities? Not at the county, but what you, they, they're not making it easy for us. We have to do our investigative work. So you have to Which go Which is into a flag, the, right? Yes, it, it, abso it absolutely is a flag. Based in my experience, if, if everything is on the up and up, everything is visible in public and it's in daylight and it's open for scrutiny and criticism and input. The fact that you have, they're playing hide and seek with some of, the, some of the details may be an indication that there might be something nefarious going on that requires more investigation. So in order to, to identify like the terms and conditions of some of these contracts, you, you have to dig into what could be a 50 page agenda item, look at staff reports, which is written in technical language and read through them very carefully. And there are some people who are doing that. Unfortunately, and I'll give you, I'll give you a couple of examples, but at the last meeting of the Orange County Power Authority, the CEO, Brian, requested authorization for a contract of $14 million for data management and call center services. And the backup material he provided to the board and to the public were like two bullet points on a staff report. In my experience, that should be 200 pages long, full of terms, conditions, covenants, et cetera. He also asked- That's unnerving. Let's just let that all sink in, everybody. A, an extensive two, a 200 page, worthy of 200 page report is distilled into a, a few bullet points, I, but it's like a two-pager, you say, in your blog on the, the Irvine Watchdog website. Right. Very brief, missing terms, conditions, covenants, you know, the important- 14 million. Legal, 14 million. And, but wait, it gets, it gets better. <laughs> he also later in the meeting requested authorization from the board to negotiate approximately $60 million in contracts without board approval. So they would authorize him to negotiate the language. And, and these can be complicated consultant contracts that can be hundreds and hundreds of pages long and can take months to negotiate. And it's detail, it's not policy. But in my experience, typically these are drafted and then presented back to the board in draft form. And all the details are provided both to the public and to the board. It's like a notice. Uh, There's a notice of the, to the public that this is right. being, this is going to be up for a bid. And is that part of the problem? It looks like it will be a no bid kind of step taking the $60 million contract. Uh, yes. Well, they, they, they put it out to bid. They had three, three people bid on that $14 million contract. And I have no problem with the final proposed consultant who's well-known among CCEs, has experience with CCEs, has worked with Southern California Edison on some of the more complicated data exchanges and data analysis that's needed. So they're considered an expert in the industry. So they have the subject matter expertise. Uh, the challenge is that he didn't provide sufficient detail either to the board or to the public. 
And the same thing applies to, he, he asked for permission to unilaterally negotiate a credit facility of $50 million because it's a startup. They don't have liquidity. They don't have working capital. They don't have customers yet. Um, so uh, that means getting credit, taking out a loan. And he's negotiating with JP Morgan Chase and for $50 million. Now let's put that in perspective. This is a very small CCE, a very small power authority with four cities, 300,000 estimated customers compared to the city of Los Angeles, for example, which is huge, multiplied you know, enormously. And they took out, I think, a $30 million credit really? line. The original feasibility study for the Orange County Power Authority estimated a maximum $20 million credit line. So he was unable to explain why the 50 million was necessary. I mean, there, there should be a financial reason for that. <laughs> uh, wasn't able to explain that. And there were no terms, conditions, or covenants. So what happens in, in something like that is that you negotiate you know, the, the creditor, in this case, JP Morgan, who is going to borrow money to the debtor, in this case, Orange County Power Authority, wants to make sure that the um, debtor has the ability to service the loan, right? And if they're unable to service the loan, then the creditor wants the ability to take certain actions. And those are normally, this is legalese, but it's normally found in the terms, conditions, and covenants. And one of them would have provided JP Morgan with the opportunity to require rate increases in the future so that they could meet their financial obligations in servicing oh, the, the credit. And so that, that moves away from community control. I mean, literally we're giving, you know, a financial institution out of downtown Manhattan, the opportunity to raise rates on residents in the city of Irvine and the other participating cities. And so concern has been expressed about, you know, continuing to see instances like that. <laughs> Uh, oh, wait, so, just for a moment, I need to let our listeners who've been so patient, who've just joined us, they need to know. My guest is Richard Green, co-chair of the Irvine Watchdog. We're recording this on July 10th, very important. And we're talking about the Orange County Power Authority. It's a joint powers agreement entity that would be administering the Community Choice Energy Program, a, a shift away from the distribution of energy to ratepayers from Southern California Edison directly from the Orange County Power Authority to the ratepayers. So there's one thing that I, in the, the levers here, because it doesn't sound like ratepayers have very many levers with this tremendous momentum for opportunity taking by a very few people whose backgrounds have been under question in the past. So we have a Congresswoman representing us who has a very strong portfolio in consumer protection and in finance regulation. Is Katie Porter in the loop yet, Richard Green? To my knowledge, no, but, I, but knowing Congresswoman uh, Porter, she she or her staff have it on their radar. They do? And, but I would imagine. I don't know that, but I would imagine. Uh, the last thing they need is for Katie Porter to show up with her whiteboard and, and teach them the basics of how to run a, run, run a public agency. Right. But what, maybe so what recourse it. do we have, though? I mean, 
if this all goes over to the creditor, the creditor takes control and is assessing ratepayers, you know, our monthly charges is, does this last only as long as the joint powers agreement is in existence or does it extend beyond that? Like to pay off the, the debt? Uh, to pay off the debt. So uh, the JPA That could be a lot longer than the joint powers agreement's existence. It, it could potentially be, yes. And that's why the, on the financial side, you know, why 50 million? Why not the original amount that was determined by the feasibility study that was peer reviewed that showed it over and over again? Million? Yes. So why, why would they want to take on more debt than is necessary when they have very little working capital or assets at this current point? They can always go back and negotiate additional credit limits, additional credit if they need to, once they're up and, up and operational. And, and, and that's not probably uncommon as the energy market fluctuates and there's a lot of variability in prices and things like that when you're procuring energy. But as you say, the LA, both what LA was able to do, and what, do you remember what San Diego's, what's this contract? I, I don't called? remember this, I don't remember the dollar amount, but I know it was significantly less. And now, now there may be some reasonable explanation for some of that, the amount of the collateral that was put up by some of the initiating uh, JPA members, that type of thing. But based on my experience, I see no reason for the Orange County Power Authority to need $50 million in a credit line and to turn over authority to JP Morgan on potential future rate increases. Well, it's a combination of that sizable amount of funds and the sizable lack of the transparency of the pathway to all these decisions. So it's sort of both of those happening in, in concert with one another really do raise a flag. And my listeners know, I know nothing about finance and I'm troubled I'm, with what little I'm piecing together and what, what kind of literacy you're giving us about how the Orange County Power Authority is functioning right now. Yeah, and you're, you're correct to be troubled. Uh, I think there's enough smoke here that indicates there may be a fire. <laughs> uh, and, and unless we put it out quickly, the taxpayers, the ratepayers, the consumers of this new or this new agency are going to be the ones that end up paying it. So what's the extinguisher? Example, how, how do we extinguish the fire, Richard? Well, the, uh, you know, I, I go back to citizen oversight and government oversight. And there's very little government oversight in this case. But Unlike, say, Southern California Edison or PG&E, they're, they're highly regulated. And I know people view them as monopolies and they, their rate increases are always a pain point for consumers. But every time they want to increase a rate, they, they have to go before the Public Utilities Commission, which is appointed by elected officials and is responsible for protecting consumers from price gouging, et cetera, and justify why they need these rate increases with something like um, the Orange County Power Authority. It's the board that can set future rates. And in the current direction of the board, they're delegating that to the CEO who's delegating it contractually to JP Morgan. So we need, we collectively as a community really just need to pay attention and hold them accountable, require documentation, uh, develop a level of expertise in terms of reviewing the financials, understanding kind of where the potential pitfalls are, where the risks lie, 
and calling them out and publicizing them. And, you know, credit for the other volunteers, the Irvine Watchdog, credit for people, organizations like Voice of OC and some of the environmental activists who are doing exactly that. So Richard, you were a 12 year resident of Irvine, but everybody inside and outside, of, or I don't know how long you've been in Orange County, but this has a kind of the smell of the derivative market yes. sort of transactions with the Orange County board, the Orange County, who's in charge? The, the Orange County executive member who was responsible for, and, and the city of Irvine actually participated in those derivatives, but I'm wondering how many on the board know of that history and are realized that these shoes do drop and this it's a little bit too fresh, that derivative market debacle having occurred and this taking place now, it's just too soon. Agreed. And then the board is made up and you could look at this two ways. One is the board is made up of elected officials from the member cities of the JPA. So there's there's some accountability there. On the other, other side, the decisions they're making today, we may not see the negative consequences of for a year or two down the road. And some of these political board members may be out of office. They may be moved on to the state assembly or, or wherever their political careers are leaning them. And so they may not have to suffer the consequences of the decisions they're making on behalf of the residents of the, the cities uh, that are participating, unfortunately. So I'm just going to keep my line open here for where we have I'm bringing this making noise and clamoring, but I, in any kind of specific kind of clamoring, I'm taking your instructions so that this debacle happening on our watch, folks, we don't have the luxury to let this take place and act like we didn't know, because we are on notice. This, this opportunity of an unseemly kind is taking place now. Exactly, exactly right. And that now's, now's the time for people to become familiar with who it is, who are the players, what are the issues, where are the risks, what decisions are being made. They're, they're building out infrastructure that will exist and that we will have to you know, deal with the consequences later uh, at a later date, unless we hold them accountable and change the direction of the board. So Richard, be specific when you're talking about infrastructure, you're talking about sort of data management infrastructure and you're talking about utility infrastructure as well. Uh, both, uh, as well as process and procedures. I mean, the practices that they're going through, I mean, it's a new board and anytime a new agency is formed, right, they're developing almost from scratch, you know, how do we want to operate as an organization? And while there may be some templates involved, CCEs are still sort of innovative and everybody's learning how to manage a CCE successfully. Some are successful and it can be done successfully but it requires a board that is really committed to kind of going through that exploratory process of what are the best practices? Have they done that analysis among CCEs? What works best? What are the pitfalls that we should avoid? It appears to me that they're sort of winging it. That's <laughs> um, what I wanna ask you, if, if there's evidence, if auditors look for interagency, intermunicipal, kinds of technology transfer communications. Are communications the kind of thing you look at as well as an auditor? 
for yeah. so there's yeah. expertise coming out of San Diego, more so maybe than Los Angeles. I would say that's a fact. There's more expertise coming out of San Diego than there is out of Los Angeles. But they yeah. are they is there evidence that the Orange County Power Authority is taking advantage of the templates built in I, San Diego? I've seen no evidence of that. Well, that's um, alarming yeah. too. I, I, unfortunately, uh, uh, and I hate to say that because they, the opportunity exists, right? Because there are good working models like San Diego that they can learn lessons from and replicate. And I know many of the community activists who have studied this issue are, and are familiar with some of these other viable CCEs have the knowledge to be able to advise the Orange County Power Authority and to guide, help guide them so that they can be successful. But at this point, it appears as though they're not listening to the residents. They're not listening to the experts. They're not looking at successful templates. I guess maybe my listeners also know I'm trying to get use analogies so we can all remember this stuff better. So maybe let's use this. Let's say this is a brand new Boeing jet that the Joint Powers Agreement is building here at the, in Orange County. So, so this is, they're building the jet without looking at previous aerospace models, models, histories, and they're just, they're just gonna launch this jet with, without the benefit of the other working histories and models. It appears to be the case. Well, we know what happens to those jets. <laughs> They, right. they go into they go into mountains. So I, I guess I, I also would hate to be a Huntington Beach resident where there would that every single utility I have, if certain projects are approved, that they would have to be saddled with desalination, Poseidon plant kinds of obligations and a joint powers agreement for energy you know, obligations that they're Huntington Beach isn't in a very good position with the momentum behind some of these rather sizable commitments. No, I agree with that assessment. I, I think that it, it, you know, it's very complicated for a city to retain its jurisdictional control and authority over its own operations when you enter into these large kind of complex JPA type arrangements. You give up some of your sovereignty. Yeah, and that uh, for, for people that like small government, that, that this should be rattling some cages where they see where it's not in their interest that trends currently. Well, did you have more to add to that or do we move on to a development order and some business in our Southern part of town? Is there anything more you'd like to add to that? So, I mean, we're um, gonna watch that next meeting. It'll be, if they're holding a meeting in August, maybe they're not gonna have a summer, late summer meeting, but the second Tuesday in August. I, uh, I believe they're scheduled to have one and I'm interested to hear who they've appointed to the community advisory board. We had some very strong local candidates out of the city of Irvine. And so, you know, that would be, in, that would be of interest. So they, they will appoint a number of community folks who have experience with CCEs and environmental issues to help advise them. But of course, you know, who they select is going to be, you know, part of an indication as to how serious they are that they're willing to take the advice. And there's there on the website. There's very little about that activity right now, so it's it's still kind of a, a screen that's not viewable by the public at this point. So, so that's August 10th, where that next meeting will be taking place. 
at 10 o'clock. So maybe you will join, you'll come back and give us either a pre-meeting or give us an, an interview after the meeting and distill what we need to know. Yes, I'd be happy to do that. And at the last board meeting, the, I think the, the board gave direction to, to the CEO to bring all future contracts in draft form to the board for review and discussion. So hopefully the level of detail will be sufficient so that we can have a comprehensive understanding of what they're trying to negotiate before they sign on the dotted line. Okay. Richard, thank you so much for that. And for those of you who've just joined us, my guest for this full hour is Richard Green, co-chair of Irvine Watchdog, talking first about the Orange County Power Authority. This is how that energy utility will be reconfigured and how it's going to be distributed to rate payers. Now for the remaining portion, I'd like for Richard to bring up what the Irvine Watchdog is seeing taking place with the Racket Club of Irvine rezoning and eventual development order. That's a plan for what would go in a portion of the property owned by the Racket Club of Irvine. Where are we now? What sort of size of that parcel is being considered for rezoning? before we talk about what's the building plan. So the Racket Club of Irvine comprises of approximately 11 acres. And the preliminary plan is to set aside approximately 2.8 acres for luxury senior apartments and assisted care facilities, which would be 190 units on a five-story building located directly on that site. So it would reduce the number of facilities that are available currently to racket club members. I think they have 27 tennis courts currently and it would reduce those by approximately 11. And so that that's a massive project for that location. And the racket club is located near Michelson and Culver and traffic flowing south, going to towards UCI and towards Newport Beach moves pretty quickly along that area. And this, the proposed project would require a, an egress from the project directly onto Culver. So, you know, there's some traffic concerns, there's some density concerns, there's concerns about the proposal does not include any affordable housing. But the primary concern from the watchdog volunteers is that there are sections in that geographical area that are designated by Irvine's general plan as commercial recreational facilities. And that's sort of locked into our general plan. And it's been an amenity that's been available for 45 years to the residents of Irvine, and it's now at risk. So there was a proposal in 2019 to rezone that, that didn't gain any traction. And now the the owner, and I don't know, under, I don't understand the motivation, maybe there's some business reasons for this, but he's looking to, to sell off part of the Racket Club land area and to convert it to market rate luxury senior homes. So that would, that would mean more traffic, higher density, you know, potential safety issues with the egress coming onto the, the speedy traffic along Culver Boulevard. Is that the Ethel Cops yeah. intersection? Yes, okay. exactly. That's the precise intersection. Okay. 
And there, there continues to be an effort by some of the some of the home landowners, uh, business owners. And maybe you recall that a few years ago, the Rancho San Joaquin Golf Course was also considered to be developed, and there was a an outpouring of community opposition to that. And the company is called Heinz Group, and Heinz Group actually reached out to some community members and did a, a brief presentation on what their initial proposal would be. And the community is pretty alarmed by what's being proposed there. In order for it to be uh, approved, it would require a general plan amendment. It would require a zoning amendment. The city council just, I believe, two years ago, passed a resolution that's resolution 19-80 which confirmed the city council support for the existing zoning and for the existing land use under the general plan, which is commercial recreational. So there are some obstacles that the developer would have to go through in order to obtain approvals. And frankly, I think this co- that community has experience in organizing to oppose developments that they don't approve of, and they're already organizing in opposition to this, and the watchdog is monitoring it very carefully. Okay, so their community is aware of the movement afoot. They're seasoned in a kind of this high noon from before, but it's, it's a very intense reconsideration of that swath between University and Michelson and Harvard and Culver. I mean, that's that's a very green swath. It's a sort of a little green belt as it and is, a recreational nice belt there. I'm sorry? Right, and so this would be a substantial sort of change in use. And the um, whole character. And it, it, would, it would alter the character significantly. So I've had an opportunity to see the proposed rendering. It's a, it's a five-story building without a lot of setback from the street, a six-foot high wall along Culver. I mean, you could you could soften it with architectural articulation and things like that, but it would be a massive project that's out of character with the current use and not conform with the general plan or the zoning for that land use. Okay, so we're on notice with that particular movement afoot as well. Racket right. and, Club and of we're, we're watching it and we'll keep you updated as needed. Okay. Well, I think that's enough for uh, listeners to, to digest right now with what is taking place in the city of Irvine. And I just think it's a marvel, the kind of charitable, generous offering of Irvine Watchdog affiliates, time and expertise so that the public can just wait for you to tell us what we need to know, and then you go back and and and, re, and watch and look carefully, oversee carefully yes. what's taking place. You're doing us such a tremendous service, Richard Green. Thank you. We're a small group of dedicated volunteers. Many of us are not experts in the areas we cover, and we really depend on the community to tip us off to let us know if there's an area of concern, and we'll dig in and dive and we'll report on it. So a thought occurs to me, Richard, is this is the kind of thing that young people that are looking at building up their life experiences and a great college statement, they could get involved with Irvine Watchdog and get into some pretty steamy, not novels, this is steamy nonfiction. They could they could start building a great resume for their college application. 
Are they starting to see you? Um, yes, but but we could always use more volunteers. Okay. And we're happy to mentor. We're happy. We don't expect someone who volunteers to be an expert at how to file a public records request or an understanding of the California Brown Act or have experience in environmental activism. But if you have an interest in politics generally or public policy generally or, or auditing in your finance, you know, we're happy to sort of help guide you and show you where the resources are. And we function kind of as a collaborative. We function as a team. We get together, debate issues and look at process. And even with my experience in education, I learn things almost every week uh, by volunteering with the Irvine Watchdog. So it's a great opportunity for someone to just learn the basics of how government operates and participate in decision-making and holding our electeds accountable. Well, this is really, really wonderful. I thank you so much for all the time you're giving us today and that you continue in your very extensive contributions on Irvine Watchdog. You're very welcome. I'm happy to do it. Thank Thank you you. for having me. Thank you. My guest was Richard Green, co-chair of Irvine Watchdog, looking today closely at the Orange County Power Authority and the Racquet Club of Irvine contemplated rezoning, reclassification, and build-out. Thanks again. Thank you. Well, that's my wrap. And for next week's show, speaking of building resumes for college, University High junior Anaya Shen will talk about how she has been genuinely doing this for quite a while. Then we'll hear from director Aster Brook with her production to be presented at Tustin Mess Hall Market at Flight. The musical production is Ordinary Days by Adam Gong. To make plans to see Ordinary Days, here's your Save the Date memo from yours truly. The production will be on July 24th at 8 p.m. Oh, and if you're inside the 45th and care to talk about it, email me at cshamba at kuci.org and let's get you on the calendar. Thank you for listening, everyone. Talk with you next week. Oh,